you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, or you open up your Bible apps on your phone or on your iPad, um, we're continuing a series we started last year on the Gospel of Matthew. We're going through it verse by verse with some breaks in between because I get bored when I do the same thing too long. I'm like a little bit ADHD like that. I've got to jump around a little bit. But over the summer, we're going to be exploring the Sermon on the Mount, no matter how long it takes me, how long I drag it out. Um, if it's September when we're done, so be it. But the Sermon on the Mount is where Matthew records Jesus's explanation of what it looks like to live and love like he did. It looks like it shows what it looks like to live and love uh, with Jesus as our king. In Matthew 5, we're going to start reading in verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Jesus says his disciples, those who apprentice under his way of life, those who live and love like him, are salt and light. So what does he mean by these metaphors? What does that mean to be salt and light? Uh, today, if you tell somebody they're being salty, that does not mean the same thing Jesus means. Like, it means you're kind of being a jerk. You're kind of being angry. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? Now, both salt and light were valuable resources in the first century. Um, in the foothills of the Alps, you can still go and tour Roman salt mines that were dug into the mountains. I think I have a picture of a Roman salt mine that you can still go and tour today. In the Roman times and throughout the Middle Ages, salt was a valuable commodity. Uh, it was sometimes referred to as white gold in the first century. That's how valuable salt was. Now we go to the store and we're like, Salt, that's one of the things that is actually cheap at the grocery store still, right? Salt's cheap. But salt was a valuable commodity in the first century. The high demand for salt was due to its important use in preserving food, especially meat and fish on long voyages. People needed salt. It was so valuable that soldiers in the Roman army were sometimes paid in salt instead of money. Their monthly allowance was called a salarium, coming from the Latin word for salt. It's where we get our English word for Salary. So when you're getting a salary, you're getting an allowance of salt. Isn't that weird to think about? That's how valuable it was in the first century. This is where expressions like, that guy's not worth his salt, right? That comes from the fact that the Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt is so common and cheap now, it's hard to imagine a world where it was one of the most expensive commodities of its time. Likewise, in the first century, you couldn't just walk over and hit a switch to turn on a light, right? There was no electricity. Uh, if you were gonna do anything during the 12, 12 hours that the world was dark, or you were gonna work in dim interior spaces, you needed a lamp. The Romans improved upon the molded clay lamps of the Greeks, uh, which themselves were an improvement on the open bowl models of the ancient world. I think we have a picture of a clay lamp, and you would fill it full either a plant oil or an animal fat oil, and you would put a little wick in the end, and it would draw the oil up into the wick and it would burn and it would give off a light and you would put it on a stand in your house and you would have light. 
It's a lot more difficult than just flipping a switch is for us today. So when Jesus calls his kingdom people, people who live with him as their king, when he calls them salt and light, he's evoking images that people in the first century immediately know. They're not just like, oh, salt, what is that? You know, like these images are immediately coming to their mind. These were everyday objects, but these were extremely valuable everyday objects in the ancient world. These were essential elements of ancient life. Jesus seems to be telling his followers, you are valuable and you are essential to my kingdom plans for this world. And I think Jesus is still saying that to us today. You are valuable and you are essential to Jesus's kingdom plans for the suburbs of Philadelphia. Jesus contrasts salt and light with salt that has gone bad or light that is obscured or blocked out or covered. Before diving into the Sermon on the Mount and outlining what it looks like to live and love like he does, to live in relationship with him as our king, he's going to drive home an important point. We're salt and light when we live and love like Jesus. If we lose the characteristics of Jesus, we lose our ability to function as salt and light. What does he says? If you're not salty anymore, you're not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If we say Jesus is our king, but we don't live like he is our king, we won't advance Jesus's kingdom. Christians who say, I believe, but don't love their neighbors, aren't salt and light. They are a light obscured or a salt that has lost its saltiness. Jesus is saying becoming his apprentice is more than just talk. It's easy to talk, right? We are in a culture where people love to talk. It's easy to say things and do nothing. It's easy to post a status or click the like button and not actually live out the principles that we uh, say that we believe online. Jesus is insisting that believing all the right things or saying all the right things doesn't actually make you salt and light. It doesn't excuse you from doing the right things. And he ends this short passage by explaining to us what will cause people far from God to turn towards God and glorify him? And the answer is surprising. Notice what it says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good Facebook comments and glorify God, right? So they may see your Bible studies and glorify God in heaven. So they may see, no, what does it say? See your good deeds. He ends a short passage by explaining what will cause people far from God to turn towards God and glorify him. And the answer is surprising. It won't be our clever apologetics. And I love thinking logically and coming up with logical reasons why Jesus is the answer and he is God. And I love doing that. I love thinking logically. But you know what? That's not how I'm going to convince people far away from God. It won't be our social media posts and shares. No matter how many times I share it or how many likes it gets, it's not going to convince my atheist friend that God is good. It won't be our church services or buildings, no matter how big our buildings get or how great our stages are or how great our songs or services are. It won't be through moral laws. It won't be from protesting or calling out the sin in the culture or the world. He doesn't even say it will be our prayers. I think prayer is important. I think it's something he's going to command us to do in a few verses. But here's what he says. Jesus reveals in verse 16 that the light and the salt are really about our good deeds, a first century term for living out his teachings. The good news of Jesus will march forward into our neighborhoods, into our culture, 
and our city at the speed of trust. When we live in such a way that people trust us, that's when the kingdom advances. As we often authentically uh, live, love the people around us, Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus will advance. Man, I couldn't get through that sentence. As our culture turns farther from Christian values, the thing that will convince people that Jesus is king will be followers of Jesus who live and love like he did. Now, that doesn't mean that we shout about moral compromise and we wag our finger at people and we're like, ah, you're bad and we're good. It means people, it means becoming people who love their enemies, people who give to those who steal from them, people who will not seek revenge against those who have wronged them. Essentially, people who live out the teachings that we're going to explore over the next few months in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, that will be salt and light. That'll make people thirsty like salt does. That'll draw people like a light in a dark, in a, like a city, like a light in a city on a hill does to someone traveling in the darkness. That's what will draw people when our lives are lived in alignment with Jesus' teachings, when our lives are lived like Jesus lived and loved, people will be drawn to God through us. Now, it's easy to look at American culture and be like, people just don't want Christianity anymore. They had a little bit of it, and now they're just turned off on it. They're not interested in Christianity anymore. Um, I don't think God blames the culture for the culture not hungering after Christianity. I think he blames those of us who claim to be Christians, but who haven't become apprentices, actual practitioners of Jesus's way of life. We compartmentalize our Christianity to a Sunday morning, but we don't actually live it out in the way we treat our coworkers and our neighbors and the strangers that we meet in the store. If people aren't interested in Jesus, it isn't because their tastes have changed. I believe that inside all of us, is a God-sized hole that is hungering after Yahweh, the one true God. The problem is that I think that people who call themselves Christians aren't acting like Jesus would. Essentially, we're false advertising what Jesus is like. Okay. Whew. I know that was heavy. Ready to nerd out about grammar? <laughs> yeah. What a transition, right? Um, I am. I love nerding out about grammar, but I was an English major in my undergrad, so I'm weird like that. So look back in verse 13 and verse 14. It says, you are the salt of the earth, and verse 14, you are the light of the world. Except it's not just a normal you. It's a plural you. It's a plural you. Go ahead and put our Greek word up there. There it is. Um, humais. Humais. I look at Mickey Mouse to remember how to pronounce it. Humais. That is the word humais, which is a plural you in Greek. Now, you say, Alex, why do I care about that? Well, because English doesn't have a plural you. We only have a singular you. When I say you, you know that it means just you. It's not you and other people. The closest we get in English is y'all. Y'all. Yeah, we do, but it's not official. Um, y'all, you all. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt and the light, <coughs> he's not saying you alone, singular. He's saying, humais, you plural. So he's saying it like this. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. You all. So what does that mean? This isn't all on you alone. 
You don't have to be like, man, I'm just not salty enough. I'm just not a bright enough light. You can't be on your own. Jesus doesn't try to tell you to be. He says, all of you working together as a community, that's what's salt and that's what's light. Disciples of Jesus together in community are salt and light. You cannot be salt and light on your own. You'd fail. We need to be in a community of people learning from each other and from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus did. Together, you must take kingdom actions that only make sense if Jesus is king and his kingdom is rushing in. That's what a church is supposed to be. That's the community that's supposed to convince people far from God to draw near to him and glorify him. Now, churches have all kinds of problems, right? Because churches are full of people and people have all kinds of problems. But Christianity without a spiritual community is salt that has lost its saltiness and a light that has been buried. Ordinary people gathering together to learn from each other and from Jesus about how to practically live in love like he did will make a world disgusted by American Christianity curious about Jesus. Ordinary people must gather together to live out Jesus' teachings, and if they do, it will draw people far from God towards him. They will be salt and light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to be a salty church, that you will help us to make people thirsty for you, to make them curious about who you are and what you're like. God, may you make us a light on a hill. May you set horizon up high, not to draw men and women and boys and girls to us, but so that we might draw them to you. God, this is your church, and we ask that you will bring people to it so that we can build relationships with them, build trust with them, and introduce them to who you are so we can teach them to live and love like you did. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would.